Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Welcome to Meals for Maturity, helping you grow deeper in God's Word and therefore as a follower of Christ. I said last time it was the final Bible talk on Esther. Well, that was a lie, sorry. After I finished uh, the last episode, I came away thinking, oh, I forgot to mention that, or why didn't I say this, or what about that? Uh, Us preachers, we do that all the time. So this episode is the ultimate final reflection on this wonderful book, preserved by God in our Bibles, about the preserving of his people in Old Testament days. See, for a book that never mentions God, it says a great deal about his providence and his protection over his people. And I want to finish with three reflections, three ponderings, if you like, about God that come out of this true story of Esther and hopefully help us to think deeper about the way we worship God as he graciously reveals himself to us in the Bible. I'm sure by now you remember the setting, the context of the story of Esther. Some of God's people have chosen to remain in their land of exile in Susa in the Persian Empire around 480 years before Jesus. Uh, Some choose to remain and live in a thoroughly pagan, godless society under the rule of a Gentile king, Xerxes, of the vast Persian Empire, an empire that values wealth and opulence and extravagance and feasting and drinking and sexuality and outward appearances and probably Persian rugs and breeding Persian cats and working out how to defeat the Greeks in the battle and to claim that feta cheese comes from them, that sort of thing. Meanwhile, we have Esther and Mordecai representing the Jews in Susa, but hardly giving us a great role model of what it means to pray or to worship or to obey God's laws in the Old Testament or to live as God's holy chosen people as a light to the nations around them. They're still in exile, their choice, but they're far away from their land, but also far away, it seems, from their God and keeping his covenant ways. There's nothing, as I've said all along, there's nothing really to admire about this bunch of Jews in Susa. They do not honour or praise or thank God anywhere across the ten chapters of Esther. Yet, such is the grace of God to be displayed. And now in a remarkable turn of events, God behind the scene, the unseen director sitting off stage, Esther the Jew finds herself queen over this empire, thanks to her God-given beauty and to her bedroom success with a sex-crazed, war-hungry king. But it's not long into the story do we find out that the Jews are actually a hated race, or at least by one power broker, and that's all it takes. And he wants to see all the Jews, Esther and Mordecai included, thoroughly wiped off the map. You see, even before Hitler comes along, centuries ago, there is Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And the death sentence, this threat hanging over the Jews... Uh, impacts all the Jews across the Persian Empire. And so if God's people are in danger, then so too is God's gospel of salvation. If God's people are destroyed, we have no Messiah. And if no Messiah, no Christ, then no Saviour. And if no Saviour, then no gospel, no forgiveness, no church, no eternal life, no peace with God, which sounds awfully dramatic, but that's what's at stake. We read in John chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus saying, Salvation is from the Jews. So if there's no Jewish race, then no Jesus is born and no salvation available for you and me. We remain dead in our sins, far away from the promises of God and without hope. Yet praise be to God 
that because of the book of Esther, we have the preservation of the Jewish people so that today we have a New Testament and a saviour we can call the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of the story of Esther, here's three reflections on God as we finally, finally, finally close this series. I want us to think biblically. I want us to mature in our thinking about these three aspects of God, our omni-God, our reversing God, and our laughing God. So firstly, our omni-God. I'm talking about those strange, hard-to-spell Latin words we use sometimes to summarise God's nature. Omnipotent, that is all-powerful. Omniscient, that is all-knowing and all-wise. Omnipresent, present at all times. And all three omnis are clearly seen across the book of Esther. Haman and the king think they have all power, but God behind the scene shows us otherwise. The Medes and Persians, well, they think their laws are all-knowing and wise, but God can simply show them up as foolishness. The king thinks he oversees his entire empire, but only God can be present across all 127 provinces. And even today, like in the story of Esther, God can easily cause nations and empires and rulers to rise and fall, and nothing across our world happens without his divine stamp of approval over it. That might be hard to believe sometimes when you hear about world events happening, but take heart, our all-powerful creator God can lift people up to positions of power and he can easily remove them. For years I've been praying that the man-made line on the map of the world that divides the two Koreas will one day disappear. Well, if you believe the scriptures like I do, then you'd know that nothing is impossible for our all-powerful, all-wise, all-present, omni-God. Wouldn't it be a great day in our lifetime if we saw North and South Korea unified? Well, let the story of Esther remind you afresh about our omni-God. In fact, as I close this series of Bible talks, upon reflection, I think the best verse in the entire story of Esther is chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not get to sleep. Our omni-God at work. He is, omni he is omnipresent across our lives, which is why we pray. God is omniscient. He is all-wise over everything occurring in your life right now. And he is omnipotent over all matters in your household and mine, indeed across the entire world. Now perhaps Romans chapter 8 verse 31 can be another theme verse overarching the book of Esther. Romans 8 verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, our omni-God, who can be against us? May you know that truth and hold firm to this omni-doctrine, no matter what's going on in your life right now. Then secondly, there's our reversing God. That's not God going backwards in your car, but rather turning the tables as he wills, changing events and outcomes to achieve his holy purposes. Again and again, we've seen this across Esther, ending with the festival of Purim and the words of chapter 9, verse 22. These were the days where sorrow turned to gladness and from mourning into a holiday or holy day, but they should make them days of feasting and gladness. Any movie producer will tell you 
Not that I've met many lately, but if you did meet one, they would tell you that the best stories have an impossible conflict and it seems that evil is going to triumph over good, that injustice might just win the day. But great stories, great movies often have great reversals, this unexpected twist in the tale. Uh, Harry Potter is the neglected kid living under the staircase in a loveless home and then suddenly his situation is reversed and he's soon this great wizard who makes lots of money for J.K. Rowling. Star Wars is built around the themes of great reversals happening when you least expect it. And so we have multiple Star Wars movies to rival the number of Star Trek costumes. Reversals, of course, are not just found in the world of make-believe movies. Sorry if you thought Luke Skywalker really existed, but he's not like Harry Potter. But reversals happen in real life, and they make for great stories like in the Book of Esther. We have a record of a student's school report from way back in 1881. One teacher's comment about this kid at school read, his conduct has been exceedingly bad and he's not to be trusted to do any one thing. Uh, it's not my school report, by the way. 1881 is a little early for me. Also on this school report were the lines, he's been late to class 20 times. And under the heading general conduct were two words, very disgraceful. And to really top off this kid's school report uh, was this final comment, uh, very bad, this boy is a constant trouble to everyone and is always in some scrap or other. And that's sort of not the school report you want to show your parents. But here it was back in 1881. Well, a few decades later, this same kid, now growing up, gives us a great reversal in his behaviour and character and eventually he is voted by his nation in a newspaper poll to be the greatest Briton of all time. The kid once described as very disgraceful by his teacher, well now the verdict is reversed by an entire nation to say very outstanding. He was of course referring to Sir Winston Churchill who led his nation through World War II. And who would ever predict this great reversal to come about in this disruptive child at school. And the same goes for the story of Esther. Who could ever predict what was going to happen? But that, of course, is not taking into account our reversing God. Remember, even when the lot, the poor, has been rolled by Haman, God reverses the outcome. Everywhere we look in Susa, our reversing God is at work. Haman in his pride is humbled. The Jews, once in disgrace, are now reversed to be in delight. They go from doom to deliverance. Sorrow is reversed to bring them to great celebration. Uh, fasting turns to feasting. Mordecai goes from sackcloth and bad outfits to a royal wardrobe. Esther's Jewishness, once hidden, but a reversal occurs and now, it's been, and now she's revealed as Jewish. Mordecai goes through the city crying in chapter 4, but God turns the tables, so by chapter 6, he goes through the city celebrated. And the king who once gave his signet ring to Haman, now that's reversed, and he gives this same ring and authority to Mordecai. You see, our God is a God who can reverse situations and circumstances for his glory. Things are not always what they seem when God is at work. And I think about the gospel message itself. 
It's all about our reversing God, doing what he does best, that is, surprising us. For what looks like disaster in the end for Jesus, remember, dead upon a cross, well, God reverses the outcome so that he's walking out alive from a tomb, or as one writer puts it in a very simple poem, it's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nail my Saviour's hands, they nail my Saviour's feet. It's Friday, but let me tell you something, Sunday's coming. From a cross to an empty tomb, our reversing God at work. And then think about all the reversals that we benefit from because of this great reversal happening on Good Friday to Easter Sunday. Think about it. God brings us from death to life. The gospel reverses our darkness to light, our sorrow to joy. The old creation is reversed to become a new creation. Wrath and judgment against us is turned into grace and mercy. The lost are found. The first become last. The last become first. Fools become wise. The lowly are lifted high. The hungry are filled. The weak become strong. And our hell-bound path is reversed by grace to lead us to heaven. Friends, when you next meet a beautiful girl called Esther or a dog called Haman, will you think about our reversing God and the gospel of reversals that he brings about in you and me because of the Lord Jesus Christ? I like the writings of uh, Chuck Swindoll, an American preacher. He, he writes, Every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. And because we follow a reversing God, he can do amazing things in your life and mine. So go on praying and go on trusting in his sovereign hand of goodness. Thirdly and finally, let the book of Esther remind us of our laughing God and that we too can laugh along with him. You've got to laugh at the quote, happy is the person who can laugh at himself, he will never cease to be amused. I've said this uh, through the story of Esther, that this is a book of humour and satire and irony. It's meant to bring a, a smile to your dial, unless you happen to be related to Haman the Agagite, or you've been made a eunuch in the king's court. There's not much to smile about there. But, but the story of Esther brings a smile to our faces when we realise that God is simply poking fun at the so-called earthly powers and ultimately he's poking fun at the prince of darkness. And let Psalm 2 in our Old Testament be a commentary on the story of Esther. Let's hear Psalm 2 read to us by Jen. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. 
Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is behind the scene in Esther. As he sits in heaven, he laughs at the foolishness and weakness and foiled plans of man. The story of Esther is Babel-like, where God has to sort of come down from his throne to see the futile efforts of mankind trying to become godlike. To God laughs at the Hamans of this world trying to bring down his people. God laughs at the Xerxes of this world, for his seat of power has crumbled and King Xerxes' name is now confined to the history books and the third last letter of our alphabet. God laughs at the authorities around our world thinking that their laws can prevent the gospel from ringing out. It didn't work in the book of Acts, remember, with the fierce Roman Empire and their crazy Caesars. And it doesn't work today, no matter which dictator or premier or king or president sits on their puny throne. They're really, ultimately, Muppet rulers, if you're old enough to know who the Muppets are. The nations might rage and various Hamans plot in vain, The kings of the earth may set themselves up against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, we don't need God anymore. Let's have our own freedom. Let's have autonomy. Here are our laws, O peoples of the land. But then if you listen quietly, with a Bible open on your lap, and a coffee in your hand, maybe a slice of cake to make it a perfect quiet time, if you listen quietly, you will hear a laugh coming from heaven and it will bring a smile to your heart, a smile to your face. Even when things seem against you as a Christian, or certain powers appear against your church. Let Esther remind us that God is our deliverer, and that one day we too will get to share in the laughter of heaven, when all things will be brought to their final conclusion, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord and our smiles will be never fading because we will see him face to face and our enemies of sin and Satan and death and persecution will not have the last laugh. His laughter roars out from heaven and, like in the book of Esther, God's enemies will be no more. It's been said, although there's not one tiny miracle found across the book of Esther, The cumulative result of a series of improbable events leads us to ponder the miraculous quality of the ordinary. Perhaps it's right to say a coincidence is a miracle in which God prefers to remain anonymous. See, God uses ordinary events, ordinary people, to bring about extraordinary happenings. It happened centuries ago in a faraway land, and it happens every day for us, whenever anyone turns to the Lord and lives. See, the moment someone becomes a Christian is enough proof to me that God is still doing miracles. Or as one Christian artist sings, God is still rolling stones. Our omni-God, our reversing God, our laughing God, to him, three in one, 
be the glory. Until next time, keep trusting the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Whether you live in Susa or in Sydney or in Singapore or in Seattle or in Swinger Hill or Savage River, lost in the wild west of Tassie. God bless you.